nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Borodar Palb, Kruisoy Avatar, hello everyone, welcome to Swansea and The Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tonight we're joined by Ian White, a Vice Principal in Hackney. We're going to be talking about preventing behavioural drift. Um, what to do when behaviour is slipping. Over half of you have said behaviour has got worse, so tune in, talk it out. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, Borodar Palp, Kruisoy Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Twilight Show from here in uh, sunny South Wales. It is sunny this week. I know I always give you an update each week. You know, raining normally this week, sunny. It has been a beautiful day. Uh, I guess summer, summer is coming. We're in the summer term now. Now, as I said, we are joined tonight by Ian White, is a vice principal in Hackney. We're going to be talking about preventing behavioural drift. So, what to do when behaviour is slipping? And as I said in the, in the introduction, there we did a poll uh, from our at TT Radio uh, twenty twenty two Twitter account. Nine hundred and forty two votes. And over 55% of those said that compared to this time last year, behaviour in their schools was worse. Now, I think Ian is here with us. Ian, are you with us? Yeah, how's it going, Nathan? Uh, Brilliant. You are coming through loud and clear. So welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Thanks for having me. And uh, I guess we should start off, just uh, kind of set the scene. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you currently do. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm the vice principal of a secondary school in Hackney uh, called Skinner's Academy. Um, it's kind of a, a typical uh, Hackney secondary school, although there's probably not many of your listeners might know what I mean there. It's a sort of a strict type behaviour system, uh, I guess sort of relatively traditional um, model for running a school. Uh, and I've been there for about a year and a half. I joined during lockdown, having been at another Hackney school for a, for a while before that. Fantastic. And um, so um, we're going to be talking about this Twitter thread that you put out. It was about, um, you know, behaviour is slipping. Now, I'm just going to give you some stats on it. You might not have, you might have muted it by now. But when I looked uh, in preparation for this, it had like 563 retweets, 127 quote tweets, on the first of the thread, that that, that tweet had had over three thousand um, likes. So I, I did go through and check, and you know, I think I got up to like maybe uh, checking all the retweets, likes, and everything, and I was somewhere up, you know, in the in the, in the six thousand likes. What's that like? Did you expect it to happen when you were kind of writing those those short characters onto social media? Um, it's definitely weird. Uh, I've done a few threads before that and on sort of booklets, uh, booklet teaching that had had a bit of a bit of traction. Um, but yeah, no, it was bizarre because I wrote I wrote that thread 
in about 20 minutes before I was going to take my daughter up to, to put her to bed. Um, and I sort of proofread it once and then just whacked it out <laughs> just because I thought, you know, I, hopefully a few people might find this useful. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, it did, a, a lot of people read it and, and seemed to seem to find it quite useful, which is, do you know, I was saying to my colleagues at work, it's, it's, it's weird though, you know, you, when you're writing something and you, you know, you're just a, you just teach in a school and you, then you write something that thousands of people are reading. I, I think I should probably double check them a bit better next time, but um, yeah, it's been nice. Um, but it, it really resonated with people. I think it kind of caught, you know, it caught a theme, a mood, uh, maybe. Um, were, were there any um, sort of? I, I will say this: I've never had something, you know, go off quite as big as that. But um, were there any responses you get or sort of likes that you saw that kind of came in and you were like, oh, you know, there's a, a, a big name maybe or someone that you respected who who, who responded to it. Yeah, I, th- I think in, in order for something to go relatively big like that, that that always happens. And you had, you know, you had your Tom Bennett's and uh, Mary Meyer, who's who's a hero of mine, um, sort of commenting on it, which which was really nice. I, th- I think I guess the 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 thing that maybe was different about the thread was just that it was it was quite practical. So it was quite sort of rooted in what leaders can do in this very common situation. And I think it was also, because we, we, we see a lot on Twitter about great schools and what those great schools do. Most of us don't work in the absolute best schools in the country. Most of us work in schools with loads of flaws, loads of difficulties, loads of challenges. Um, and what that thread was trying to do was trying to just give some of my own personal experience on how when you're in that situation, when you're in a school where there some problems are emerging, there are some good ways of, of, of tackling that kind of drift. Um, and there are some, conversely, there are some really bad ways as well uh, that I've definitely seen in my experience. So I, I think maybe that was partially it in that it was just, I hope it was just quite useful. And I think there's quite a lot, you know, quite a lot of Twitter is full of arguments and posturing and people kind of peacocking about how, you know, how strict they are or how nice they are or how creative they make their classrooms or whatever it might be. And hopefully it was just a sort of a practical thread that people might be able to use. So maybe that, maybe that was part of it. Well, the bit that resonated with me and I, you know, I reflect on this as well, that there, you know, I often see stuff or I'll, you know, I'll buy books and they'll talk about how the thing is done well, you know, whatever it's on, this is what it looks like when it is going well. And I rarely hear people or see people talking about this kind of change, you know, how you move from one state to the other, because I think you're right, you know, I've only ever worked in schools where we were on a journey. And often I'd read something to say, okay, well, you know, to improve behaviour, you need to, uh, you know, have high standards for, say, uniform, you know, I'll pick just something, you know, do that. And I go, okay, yeah, I'd really like to be able to do that. But how do I get from this point to the point where everyone's, you know, like that movement and, and that change process, was it deliberate when you were sort of crafting it, that you were aiming not at an ideal, but at a, a change? Exactly right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's because of the situation that I've been in as a leader. Um, and the schools I've been in throughout my career, I've worked in, in challenging schools that have had lots of flaws. And we've had to, you know, at whatever stage of my career I was at, we've had to do step by step improvements. And we've had to 
think about that in a really granular way. You know, you could think about something like, um, you know, slant, you know, this kind of in-class behavior system where students have to sit up straight and they have to look at the teacher. And, you, it, you know, you can put on Twitter like this, you know, my kids in my school, they do slant and this is brilliant and it's fantastic and they all pay attention. It's, pre- it's actually not that useful a thing to put on Twitter, I think. It's, it's not, it's, you can knock yourself out. People can do whatever they want, but it's not actually useful to people who are trying to run a school or teachers that are trying to run their classroom to hear about something in its final stage without at least having some guidance on the step-by-step of, of the introduction. And I think maybe maybe there's just a, a, a little bit of a dearth of that kind of, you, you, you're in a school where there are these problems, here is step one in order to sort it out. Um, and that, that's what I was trying to do. But, it, you know, it definitely wasn't, um, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it ideologically when I was writing. I was just thinking about what we're doing in my school. And I was thinking about, in my experience, what has been the best way of improving behavior when it starts to slip. Um, and I think ultimately, we're, we are often slaves to our experiences. and We, you know, we, we can only talk to the context that we've been in. Um, but I think hopefully this thread kind of managed to get at something that might be a little bit broader in that when you when things are going wrong, when things are slipping and sliding, take a step by step approach and make small, quick, achievable wins. And you'll have a bigger impact over the long term rather than, you know, in briefing, standing up in front of staff and telling them to sort it out, which I've seen a yeah. lot in my career. Um, and, you know, I know we're kind of generalizing here and the, and the, 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 the thread was put out generally about, you know, all schools of this advice to, for other people to apply. And, you know, you don't have to answer this about your school in particular. You can answer it broadly about, you know, other teachers you come into contact with. But a lot of people, it seems, are at least have a perception that at the moment they're facing some slipping of behavior. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen that on Twitter and uh, you have got lots of of former colleagues and friends uh, who teach in London schools. I think that's definitely been a perception I've come into contact with. Um, I think when you've got things like bubbles uh, within schools, they were a nightmare in particular in my last school because we had a, we were a super, super tight school with very tight systems. And the bubbles basically created this nightmare where you had to turn your really tight systems into this sort of uh, hydra where, you know, you had year sevens, eights, nines, tens, elevens, twelves, all in different places all over the building with their different separate timetables. And I think that naturally led to an atrophy in the, in the, in the quality of behavior. Um, and it's certainly in my school, you know, it, it's been harder because of COVID to ensure that systems stay really tight because the systems themselves had to change and they had to shift. So when the government is able to put something out that changes the way that students have to walk around your building that's that is a nightmare for behavior because the best behavior structures and the best behavior systems are ones that become cultural and that happens through long-term repetitive practice and and to have to shift and change all the time is going to be really disruptive it means that staff are not going to be used to the routines they're not going to be used to how, how to deal with those behavioral issues and it means that the the students obviously are going to be far more unsettled. However, I mean, do I have data on it? No, 100%. I don't. It sounds like you, you had a little survey that, that maybe suggested um, that behaviour might be getting worse. But yeah, it, 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 certainly amongst my circle, it, it feels like there has been some slippage for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, people are certainly saying it. And, and I always take that with a pinch of salt because, as I say, you know, very much in my career, I have always been in schools that have wanted to improve behaviour, either significantly or most schools I know always seem to, they, they want to improve behaviour. You know, even if it is pretty good, it, it seems to be one of those things that is always a, a focus of attention. So I'm, I'm unsure if it is just, you know, a, a perceived thing. Um, it will always be that kind of, you know, whether we're looking at, data on it people would have to put I don't even know how people would go about that kind of tracking behavior points across multiple schools making sure it was as you you know as you say but certainly people are talking about this Um, and I think even if they weren't I think it you know this thread which we are going to talk through you know we'll hear some ads in a second and then then we'll talk through it kind of piece by piece It, it sounds to me like something I really would have uh, wanted to listen to when I first became a deputy head and I was looking at behavior and I was kind of looking for these things of saying okay you know okay well we want to do this we want systems in place we want to do that but actually this is in the way or, or you know we need to work through it that way as you say as opposed to you need to do slant slant works have slant without saying okay you need to think about explaining it, you need to think about training all of those things um so I am I'm very I don't know I'd, I think in my heart of hearts, I think behavior has got worse, but I'm being able to quantify that in any way. Maybe the world's changed as we keep saying. Now, um, we're going to go through, and we're going to have a talk through each of sort of the tweets in turn. And I want to kind of unpick them, hear you're thinking about it, discuss some of the kind of stories around it, the background around it. Is that all right, Ian? Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's very flattering. It's very nice that someone would that, that you'd want to do that. So yeah, let's do it. Why not? <laughs> Fabulous. Well, we're going to pop to a quick ad break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back in about three minutes, if you're listening in, you'll be able to uh, text in, um, let us know any of your thoughts, follow along as we go. If you want to find the the thread I'm talking about, just go to our, our, our TT radio account, you'll be able to find it there. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll talk it through. We'll see you on the other side of these ads. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb Digital Portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn 
Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, here on Teachers Talk Radio. And tonight we are talking with Ian White, a Vice Principal in Hackney, about preventing behavioural drift, uh, what to do when behaviour is slipping at your school. Uh, Welcome back, Ian, still with us? Yeah, for sure. Lovely, coming through loud and clear there. So, um, I'm, I'm going to read through sort of the threads and we'll dis uh, the, the thread as it goes and we'll, we'll sort of discuss it as we go through. Um, we'll probably have you know, maybe I'll I work it out maybe four to five minutes on, on, on each tweet. If we get in depth, we might have to rush through a bit at the end. So, I'll try and manage the time. There's you know, uh, 13, 12 kind of in the core there of tweets we're going to talk through so we should have plenty of time to get into kind of your thoughts on each one now you started off this Fred uh, with um, sort of saying behavior is slipping Uh, everyone on SLT has heard this before uh, but what you do you do you say I've been lucky enough to work in some great schools that have improved behavior significantly Uh, so here's um, some things I've learned about tackling behavioral drift now I I guess the first thing I just want to ask behavioral drift is this a a phrase that people should be common with Uh, drift as a concept is this your phrase a phrase you've taken from somewhere um, I haven't, certainly haven't taken it from anywhere uh, deliberately. It's me and the other vice principal at, at my current school. We we used it together, um, just kind of between us. Uh, and then I think we we've started using it with staff um, and just in, in our communications. Um, and so no, I'm not I'm not sure it comes from anywhere. It's 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 the 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 kernel of it or sort of the origin of it is if you've got a policy like um, shirts tucked in. Drift is when that student can walk from one end of the school to the other and, and not get challenged on it. You can, mm. you can tell that that policy is drifting because it's just not being consistently followed through. And, and so you can apply that to any policy. So, you know, you might be a, a non-uniform school. It might be that students have to bring a pencil case, you know, and drift would be if their tutors don't challenge them on it. 
for the first time. You know, it's the bit that that would be the beginning of drift. And I'm sure I've nicked it. Everything, everything's stolen, isn't it? Yeah. And so in some cases, this might come from, you know, with teachers for, for any number of reasons, maybe maybe tiredness, maybe a focus on a different school improvement area, uh, maybe maybe even just, you know, an act of kindness of thinking, actually, do you know what, everyone's got it tough at the moment, I'm not going to challenge on that. So there could be many reasons for this kind of drift happening. Yeah, for sure. And I think at, at the heart of the way that I see leadership, actually, is to assume that the central core purpose of the school is lessons so it's the it's the teachers teaching lessons and that that is an incredibly draining hard thing for those teachers to do and it's actually it, you know for the students as well like focusing for that period of time that 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 is the core thing that needs to be happening in the school so anything that you're leading on that you're expecting teachers to change in terms of their habits in terms of the culture that you want them to inculcate in the students has to be incredibly clearly transmitted and has to be transmitted repetitively again and again and again until it starts to become cultural and so the reason why you get drift is is through absolutely natural processes as it's tiredness it's um people having something else to focus on it's because teachers are, are, are rushing to get to their lesson and i think the leader's job is to spot where that's happening and to work out why and then to make a sequential plan to ensure that it doesn't turn into it doesn't snowball into you know all of the policies just suddenly not being a reality because that's when you've got a rubbish school and you and you don't you know sort of through the 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 the, the thread as we move on on to the next one you don't necessarily sort of apportion blame in a sense for this drift happening you it's not about kind of finding someone at fault as it were yeah, that would be that would be horrendous leadership, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I, well, I think drift is. It, I, I'm sort. I sort of ascribe to the school of thought that everything is the leadership's responsibility, mm. because the uh, the phrase I use is that there is no other room. There's, there's no other room where people are going to make the change happen. There's no other room where this improvement is going to be planned out and mapped out. The reason why SLT have the position that they have is because they are paid to think strategically beyond their classroom and, uh, you know, within the whole school. So if this drift is happening, the absolute number one thing that SLT cannot do is simply blame staff in speech marks. Because if you blame staff, you are abrogating your responsibility to run the culture of your school. Um, so if there is blame, it's definitely on people like my shoulders. Uh, it's not, you know doesn't mean you're a terrible leader it just means you've got to do something about it I think. okay so we're going to go on to the the first tweet and we start off um well second tweet i'm going to go through use the numbers that you use because it will help me otherwise i'll confuse myself first point point one uh, first and foremost acknowledge it if staff are saying there's a problem there is a problem um it's far better for slt to be out in front of uh, the behaviour problem uh, than in denial. Teachers hate it when SLT deny behavioural issues. Now, uh, does it? It's strong words. Does it come from a place of uh, I don't know uh, a personal place? Of this? Do you reflect on that as something that you've seen yourself as a teacher when you were a teacher, or something you've heard teachers say? It comes from extreme personal trauma. Yeah, I mean, so it, having worked in, uh, I've 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 worked in failing schools, uh, in a failing school, particularly at the start of my career, 
Um, and it was watching that that uh, I did the Teach First program, and, and you know, after three years, the school was in special measures. It was watching that happen that made me realise that that in those types of schools, if you don't get the behaviour systems right, then everything is going to collapse. And at the core of the problem there was that for a while, the leadership didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to accept that behaviour was a problem because behaviour was a function of how well planned your lesson was. We're talking back in 2010 here. So if teachers were planning better lessons, if they were planning more engaging lessons, if there was some kinesthetic element for the, for the, for the boys to be doing, um, if there was a gallery walk and some group work, then there wouldn't be any behaviour problems. And obviously behavior completely tanked and the whole school was, was just a nightmare to run and it, it got put into special measures. I just think that there is nothing to lose for SLT to be out ahead of the behavior problem or to, to be not even the problem, to be out ahead of behavior. So to just say to staff, we care about behavior every single minute of every single day because it's the cornerstone of what we do if there are students misbehaving in lessons. And it, but when I'm talking about behavior, I'm not talking about throwing chairs. I'm not talking about rudeness. It, it, this, this, might, this might mean in a primary school, it might mean the culture in the classroom, this, those little routines. You know, it, it, It's going to mean different things in different contexts. But I don't see why the SLT can't always just be out ahead of it and just say, this is one of our biggest concerns. Because to deny it, I, in my experience, just sends teachers wild with fury because you then have these well-paid head honchos sat in their offices whilst teachers are going out and working their socks off to be abused or to be to have their lesson derailed and you've suddenly just got this horrible split between SLT and teachers and, and you just can't have that. Um, and we've we've had some texts in there Leanne has said all side with parents too often um, the Northern Minority Poverty Law Centre there have uh, said that um, a lot of behaviour stems from media um, and Missy e. H has said, just Ian, totally agree. Um, now, I would say it often comes up, you know, in my experience, when we look at retention questions, looking at uh, work satisfaction questions, often teachers will raise behaviour as an issue. As you say, not often, not always extreme behaviours. It will be frustrating talking over the teacher, That, that those kind of minor disruptions, as you say. And... Um, they, they can be, I guess, as you say, easily kind of uh, poo-pooed by SLT maybe or, or, or suggested. The one for me within that is the deflection onto a teacher, as you kind of sort of suggest that, you know, we often hear things like, you know, maybe your lesson wasn't engaging enough. And that's why, you know, and, and those things do, yeah, I 100% agree that SLT should be out clear in front of that. We're going to have a look at point two. Um, point two says, so. Right. We, you know, we've started off, we've, we've, we've recognised that there is a problem. So talk to teachers regularly about behaviour. Make it clear that behaviour is one of your primary concerns. Uh, remember that as an SLT, you are in a bubble insulated from much of the grind of poor behaviour. Um, this will help you identify where behaviour is splitting. Um, so you, you kind of you talk there a little bit about being uh, SLT being insulated, maybe, and, and also talking about behaviour regularly. So would that be something you, you always have a behaviour focus then, do you? For, for me, yes. I think it's, it's you know, it, the type of school I work in, if you don't, things will slide and slip really, really quickly and you can, you can run a really bad school. 
Um, so for me, it has to be that constant focus. And that just means that in your everyday interactions with staff, asking them how things are going, talking about behavior, being consistent in following up the behavior policy, um, getting that getting that very regular feedback is really important. So, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a VP now. I teach five lessons a week and they're all exam classes. And, you know, they all behave fine because they've got exams in a few weeks and they're older. And because I'm the VP, right? Because they, they, yeah. that, that changes things. It's, it's a bubble. It's, it's a weird little bubble that is around me as I walk around the school because students know and understand the hierarchy to an extent. So as an SLT member, you've got to get below that and you've got to speak to people. You've got to ask them what the reality is. Um, and I think staff pick up really quickly if you are not willing to do that. If you want to just stay within your bubble and fold your arms and say school's going nice and well, then your ECT teacher who's got three out of five lessons that they're dreading that day, um, you're not going to hear them. And that's you've already not solved the problem of behaviour slipping. You've already ignored it, I think. Mm. Um, and yeah, I you know I can really relate to um, early in my career, sort of you know I, not necessarily they behave for me, but certainly uh, people underestimate the the recognition of authority that that, that leaders have. Uh, you know, children are able to do that, and so yeah, it is easy to forget then when you walk into a classroom that yeah, of course they'll be quiet for you because they know who you are, you know. So we go on to number three. The, 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 biggest, makes, uh, the biggest mistake I've seen and done uh, is try and solve problems with a notice in briefing. Notices in briefing are very ineffective when it comes to changing habits and culture. If behaviour is slipping, acknowledge it in briefing, but make a plan. Now, what are you kind of talking about there, a notice in briefing? Yeah, I think this is the, anyone who's, who's sat around an SLT table, I would imagine, and maybe, maybe, maybe this is just my experience playing out here, but you sit around and you discuss whatever it is, and then at some point, the head or someone will say, could you do a notice about that in briefing? And everybody nods their head, yes, notice in briefing, yes, that'll do it. Um, and it never does it. It, it, it. First, you know, telling, telling people that there's going to be a trip next week, absolutely fine. But if you're going to try and solve a systematic problem, then a notice in briefing is almost useless. In fact, I'd say it's getting pretty close to counterproductive because what you're going to transmit to the staff is, and, and, and I remember this when I was not on SLT and listening, what you're going to transmit is we would like this to improve, but we are not willing to put the resources into it and the time into it to actually make it improve. What we would like is for you guys out at the coalface to just sort of manage to change it organically. So... Okay, everyone, can we make sure that at the end of lessons, all students stand up in silence and uh, then we dismiss them row by row? Okay, let's make sure we do that next week, guys. See you later. <laughs> it's, yeah. that is, it's just not going to work. You know? and, and I think the reason why I'd say it's almost counterproductive is then your teachers see that and they understand that, they understand that that's bad leadership for, for a start. But I think they also realise we're not going to get backed up here. And so if I do this, there's going to be a battle against me. So I'm going to really consider whether I do this very carefully. And then you start to get into this horrible culture, you know, SLT saying, well, there was a notice in briefing about it. You were told, but you didn't actually give, you didn't change the culture of the school systematically. So that, that's 
that's the danger I'm talking about there. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I have heard over my career, and I'm sure other people would relate to that many things, many times about you know either you know, you know can we make sure the kids have got the right shoes for school, please? You know, it's it's slipping. Can they all have the right shoes on? You kind of go, okay. I, I'm teaching lesson two. I will try my best, and when I see them, uh, you know, there, there is no solution to that, is there? There's no plan of what to do if a kid has doesn't have the shoes on, or if they uh, refuse, or uh, and, and I imagine a lot of things seem like that. Seem like a maybe seem like a small thing to to change. So as you say, untucked shirts. So it would be very easy for us to say, right, everyone has to have their shirts tucked in. That would be an easy thing to say for a class teacher though I think in a school where I knew that 90% of my kids had their shirts untucked I'd be absolutely dreading that as a message to come through just just to put that in I completely agree with what you just said and to put that into some context we spent about half an hour of our last SLT meeting discussing uh, what shirts tucked in would actually mean when we said it because we're pushing on uniform at the moment in my school it, we we just we managed to get half an hour because of the complexity of it. Because the re, the reality is, it's not just saying can you all ask the students to tuck their shirts in. There are loads of different considerations that have to be discussed in order to then lead a systemic cultural change. Um, and that's why those messages in briefing are always going to fail. Um, it's you know you can you can have messages about all sorts of things in briefing. But if you if you want to improve student culture and behaviour by doing it, it's I just I just haven't I certainly haven't seen it work yet. Maybe I'm going to be proven wrong. Maybe there's a school out there that just has ninja briefings where everything works, but um, I certainly haven't seen it. Yeah, well, you know, I would say so too. And and I, uh, I you know I tend to be on a longer journey with the schools I choose to work at, where we are further from from the goal. I guess maybe if you know if you had it last week and you've always had it that way, and it's a you've slipped maybe a very slight distance uh, from 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 the, the the goal. Maybe less planning would have to go in, but I would guess that the further you are away, the, the the more effort, the more consideration, the longer the journey would would have to be planned. Um, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good point, actually. The, the aim is to change culture. And when you've changed culture in the building, that means that the habits and the attitudes and the beliefs of people in that building are automated to make that thing a reality. And so, yes, in two years time at my school now, we might be able to give a briefing where we say, uh, guys, can we just double check on coats? Because there's been some students getting in through the threshold with their coats still on. And it, that might actually do it because it has been so embedded culturally. Um, so yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> All right, we're going on to uh, point four of the thread. We are now on. So let me just recap for anyone just joining us. And don't forget, you can text in your messages uh, into the Podbean app if you're listening live um, to comment on them. If you want to find the thread so that you can read along as you go, I have just tweeted it out from the TT radio account that's uh, at twitter at tt radio uh, 2022 um, and i've also tweeted out from my own at lesson copy if you want to find it there you go you can follow us along we have done number one which was about acknowledging the problem number two about that regular feedback from teachers uh, number three we've talked about uh, avoiding kind of a, a briefing note approach to try and do it and that takes on to number four which is Number four, uh, counterintuitively, I would argue, improving behaviour in a school means ignoring most of the problems. Initially, exclamation mark. Uh, sit down as a team and identify specifics that need to improve uniform politeness, punctuality, shouting out, get granular on the 
granular on these where is the problem now i'm going to i'm going to say this is the most controversial for me and i think the one that most people would have problem with and i know you 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 kind of counter it within the sentences yourself but you you're talking about ignoring problems yeah and and obviously you, so if you're in a secondary school which 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 obviously my context if you've got problems with uniform so you've got too many kids with their shirts untucked ties you know looking all scraggly not wearing their blazers around the building and you've got lateness to lessons and you've got some rudeness around re-entering the building, you've got coats on inside, which is against the rules, you've got all of these problems. I think certainly what I've learned and seen work really well is to essentially put, put trying to improve all of them on ice. So continue doing what you're doing with coats, continue doing what you're doing with punctuality, continue doing that system. Don't come up with something new for it immediately focus on one thing at a time and make sure that you then win it because the problem with you know again you know you could say a briefing right we're gonna have a big push on behavior um let's make sure the coats are sorted let's make sure the top buttons are sorted and, blah, 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 and you could name all the things that need to get dealt with but the problem is that those things have drifted because the systems and the culture are not right and so if you want to tackle the systems and the culture that's going to involve a granular discussion of each of them. And then what I would argue is a push on each of them for an extended period to fix that issue, to fix that cultural issue. So I guess it's not about just saying, guys, it's open season on uniform. <laughs> it's about saying, we're not going to change our approach to uniform yet. We're going to actually ignore it. We're going to keep allowing it to drift, if you like, whilst we fix this one other thing. Um, the, the reason why I think that also has a, it, why it works is that if when you pick that one thing, so we picked coats in the building, making sure students didn't wear their coats in the building. It's not really about coats. You know, the, the, lots of people in the thread were sort of saying, oh, you're a horrible author, authoritarian stopping children wearing coats in the building. It's nothing. It's not really to do with the coats. It's about increasing staff presence, increasing staff confidence uh, to challenge students. Um, it's about getting students used to being challenged on that kind of thing and responding politely and, uh, you know, having those positive interactions with teachers. And so just even by having that first push, what we saw was an improvement in the uniform. And we saw an improvement in the general behavior. And, uh, and I've definitely seen that happen in my other contexts as well. So ignore it, sort of, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, it does. Um, and I guess it'd be really important to be clear with staff about that as well, of which, you know, which which parts you're ignoring, which parts you're focusing on, because you wouldn't, in a sense, want to change the whole uniform policy temporarily. The, the policy would still exist. You're just working on different parts, I guess. Yeah, and the, the, the most common reaction that I got from staff, that we got from staff when we introduced this, is was just, oh, that makes sense. So by saying, you know, we're going to do it one thing at a time, we're going to fix it properly. We're going to change some of the systems, but we're only going to do it one, one thing at a time. So don't worry about the shirts for now. Don't worry about punctuality for now. Um, my staff just said, oh, actually, that's, that's, yeah, that seems sensible. I can do that. Because as a teacher, your, your main job is really hard. <laughs> you know, it's a really, it's one of the hardest jobs invented. Arrive at this building and teach for five hours to this group of people, half of whom don't want to be in the room. You know, that is a really, really hard job. And if you're SLT, say, you know what, guys, we're going to fix one problem. And that's the only thing we want you to worry about. 
um, for certainly for a lot of our staff, it was it was I, I think was a bit of breath a breath of fresh air. And we've talked a little bit here about sort of the getting granular on it. You you've mentioned there about kind of staff in corridors and, and all of these things. So I'll take Coates as a, a sort of an example here, but we'll talk more generally than your context. But I think it would surprise people maybe who, who kind of would barrel into uh, into something quickly, which I hope no one would do, that you can't just say there won't be any coats inside because you need to start saying, okay, well, where are the children coming in? Who's the first person to challenge them? What happens in between that person challenging them and the, you know, them putting it back on before they arrive in lesson. What happens if, uh, you know, they they arrive in a lesson, they refuse to take their coat off. What happens if they, you know, uh, all of these things? That there's a lot to consider, right? You're 100 correct. And we spend, we've been committing the vast majority of our SLT meetings to discussing what you were just talking about there. <laughs> and I can tell by the way that you're talking, you've got experience of this, you know what this is like. Coats, no, no more coats in the building is a really complicated thing to make happen and needs loads of detailed discussion. When people talk to me about, you know, this is draconian or this is authoritarian, what it really is is just well-planned. So it's about saying, we really mean it. We really mean that you're not allowed to wear your coat in the building. So when, are you, when do they have to take it off? Do they take it off before the threshold, when they're at the threshold, or when they're over the threshold? Well, that actually matters, because if you've got 800 children trying to get into the building, where they take it off really matters. And then as you just say, what are the sanctions? What happens if they are if they do have their coat in the building? What's, what are the responses? And what we found, really interestingly, is that by planning all of that, our interactions with the students immediately became more pleasant because we were really, really clear with the young people on exactly what the rule was, precisely what the rule was. And there's nothing that kids love more than absolute clarity on what they can do and what they can't do. And so now, I, I confiscated a coat yesterday. Um, a student's name, I was just like, oh, come over here, please. And he said, oh, sir. Yeah, you know what it is. Held out the hand. Coat comes in, he says, end of the day, Miss Bell. Yeah, 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 end of the day. And that's it, done. It was that was the interaction finished. Now, before we'd done the push, that was an argument. You know, oh, what 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 are you gonna do? What are you gonna confiscate my coat? But it's cold outside. What do you mean? I mean you know, what, what am I gonna do with that? Oh, I'm gonna tell my mum, right? And you'd suddenly get into this really nasty argument because there was so much wiggle room. By discussing it and going through the details, you actually end up in the end with a more positive, happy interaction with the young people. Yeah, and I would say, you know, one of the most common ones I've seen where, where they, you know, this maybe has been thought through to an extent, but not fully would be uh, mobile phones recently, you know, where schools would say something like, okay, well, you know, if, you, if you're caught with your mobile phone, we'll take it off you and a parent has to collect it. And that might seem incredibly simple until you realise that, okay, what happens if a parent can't collect it? What happens if the parents are working? What happens if, you know, all the... the it expands and expands uh, as many different children there are. Now, my question for the next point, which is point five, because we're going to go entirely against, I guess, what we've just been talking about, how about how complicated it is, is um, you say, once you have a list of things, you need to pick the easiest one to win. And, and you say, for us recently, this is ensuring uh, students didn't wear a coat in the building. Um, it's important that the first thing you push on is a quick win. Now, is there a difference between the, uh, the complexity of the win, the, the, the 
time frame that you're going to get it done in? How, how what would you look for as a quick win? So I'd say quick win is something that on by the end of that first day um, has been sorted out in the majority of cases, um, and with something like no coats on in the building, if you've done this all this planning and this you know assemblies the week before, and a big and then you've got your big launch. If you're if the 100 adults in that building are unable by the end of that day to make sure that any student with a coat on has followed the system, any student with a coat on in the building has followed through on the system, then it's probably not a quick win. It's probably something that has a deeper cultural problem. So for example, punctuality to lessons is bound up with really deep cultural uh, ramifications, past experiences, teacher habits, all of that is, is re- it's gnarly. We, we keep referring to it as a gnarly problem. Now, punctuality to lessons was our third push in our cycle. So we had two pushes before it. And the reason for that is that we wanted to make sure that we'd done our easier ones first, where we could get an initial win on it. And we could make sure that there were no coats on in the building before we then start to tackle the gnarlier, more complex, harder ones. Build staff confidence, you know, give, give staff a, a success. Say to them, you've done this, which they have, right? You, we planned to do this, we all did it. Now let's do the next one. You know, I think that's what, I think that's what leadership's about. Yeah, and um, your next point then is, you know, number six, you say, when behavior's an issue, morale goes through the floor fast, have a quick win, which staff, uh, independent of their experience, can focus on is invaluable. Uh, also helps with the, the following pushes. You know, remember we solved the problem of X. You know, we did, we did this. We can do the next one. Now, I would say in my experience that there is nothing more dangerous to morale than than teachers feeling they are not in control uh, of uh, behaviour, particularly or particularly if you were to see a school where where teachers didn't want to challenge behavior in the way that you described sort of the the coat argument that in some way you'd set a, you'd allowed the system to make teachers aside myself they're thinking about it kind of sigh and go oh I, do you know what i'll just stay in my classroom over break time because if i go outside i'll have to challenge someone and, and it won't happen morale and i think you mentioned it earlier on about confidence to challenge people is incredibly important to this process right it's utterly central. So what you're trying to create through this step-by-step process is an entire staff body who will challenge these problems, who will follow these policies really consistently every single day. The whole point about drift is that that policy is no longer consistently a part of the culture. And so the whole purpose here is is to raise the morale of staff initially. So you say... This thing that you were not able to do to sort out before, that we were not able to sort out before, we have now sorted it out. And so what you've then got is just way more people on the team, way more people working together, and way more people then able to change the culture in the school. And so you get this knock-on, this snowball effect. If a student walks through our school now with a coat on in the building, I, I don't think they would get past very members, very many members of staff just it, it, it would be challenged instantly um with a sort of mild confusion with the kid handing it over and saying oh sorry i forgot it's, it's just pretty sh- um, that's what would happen mm-hmm. um 
But then there are other issues that wouldn't get challenged so consistently because they are still within the realms of, of, of not being habitual, of there having been some cultural drift in the past. Um, and so, yeah, you've, you've got to slowly build up that confidence and morale of everybody in the building in order to then uh, to make those long term changes. Um, and we've had a text in just from uh, Missy H just saying it's good to hear that staff are celebrated when they do something successful. Sounds like a great team. Uh, sounds like teachers are supportive, which definitely helps staff morale. I agree. It sounds lovely. Well, like it does. It does sound lovely. I, do you know what? I, it strikes me as I, when I was listening to you then, Ian, is you say we a lot, right? Yeah, it, it's not. It, you can't. You genuinely can't do it on your own. <laughs> it's, it's and, and also the uh, the vast majority of the good work that's happening is no longer done by me so i'm i am now in a position where the most important work of the school which is teaching and developing these young people i have very little to do with it i it, i am i'm on the team that tries to set the conditions for that to happen and so of course it's we, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it is nothing without the people in the classrooms doing the actual core work of the school. Um, so we're going to move on to point seven. Point seven is more from, a, I, I guess, a leadership type perspective. You know, I know a lot of this has been about, but this is about, you talk, you say, uh, map out the behavioral issues you are going to push on. Um, I'd advise two weeks per push. Uh, one week at the start and end of each half term used to consolidate uh, previous pushes. Um, this will depend on the push, though, um, so keep it achievable. Um, how much, how far, I know you've talked about these kind of half-hour SLT meetings, you know, j just talking about coats. Um, how much do you plan it out and how strictly do you plan it out and uh, sort of stick to it? Is it, you know, do we have a two-year plan here in detail, or is it more uh, general, a kind of going off into the future of we'll deal this two weeks, deal this, then we'll see where we get to? We are we're up until this the end of this academic year. Um, I'm not a huge fan of planning years in advance. I think the the reality of what's in front of you needs to be the main focus of a leader. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, we've planned the next few pushes for sure, but we only plan them when we're pretty close to them. And the reason for that is that culture shifts and culture changes. And so we want to make sure that we are solving the problem as it currently exists in the school. Um, but yeah, that, that meeting us at half an hour would be the absolute minimum. So for something like punctuality to lessons, where we had a, an amazingly successful push on we that was a full that was hour and a half you know we had it was everything from introducing a late bell to finding out where the particular problems were to what we expected staff to do to where the systems what the systems would be what what would be the entry on sims what would the communication with parents be when would the assemblies be what would the content of the assemblies be you know we, all of that has to be rigorously planned out and it, this kind of goes back to what we were saying before it's why the notice in briefing didn't work <laughs> yeah. because there were all of these systemic problems that were sat underneath that have to be talked through and worked out. And the reason why I, why I um, recommend at least in, and to the extent that I'm in a position to recommend um, why I recommend that it should be the whole SLT is that you, 
I'm always quite conscious of siloing out our roles on SLT. You know, you're responsible for teaching and learning. You're responsible for, for X, Y, Z. If you've got half the SLT team that don't know the rules on punctuality to lessons and you do a launch on it, and then a few teachers ask some SLT members and they say, oh, oh, I actually don't know when late is. When is it? Oh, I'll, I'll ask the other SLT member. I mean, what do you think that member of staff is going to talk about down the pub? Like, I went to speak to Ian. He didn't even know when, when late was supposed to be. So what am I supposed to do? You know, it's, it's, I'm, I remember those conversations, you know. So the, the whole SLT has to be on message and understand that push from the ground up. Um, and for me, and, and this might be something that you have found a way around, personal projects have around behaviour, I would say. Personal projects around behaviour, I think, you know, for, for other aspects of curriculum, of, of pedagogy, the, the, there is some great work that could be done there. But a personal project around improving behaviour, I find dangerous for that reason. Maybe not dangerous, but tricky. Because as you say, it becomes just one person's thing that they they want to make sure there are no coats in there. So I leave it to that person. Leave it to that assistant head, that that deputy. You know that that let them get on with it because they're, they're the coats person. And so you're saying that some things should are everyone's business. Yeah, I mean, good luck with that approach. Basically, <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I, it's it's. The, the, point, the point about culture, and the reason why I, why I use culture a lot now is because it encapsulates much better than the word behaviour what we're trying to create. Mm. And if you're trying to change the culture of the building, you're trying to change the behaviour, the habits, the attitudes, the beliefs uh, of the people who are in that institution. And you can't do that if it's siloed off to an assistant head because what you'll get is a notice in briefing. <laughs> that's what you'll get because that assistant head will go and they'll put loads of plans together and it might be beautiful it might be lovely but what's the way that the actual change happens it's by all 10 12 slt members walking the school and making it happen seeing it happen and if it's not happening challenging why and planning and making that change happen the next day if it's just one person, you just get everything directed towards them and the, the policy will just fall apart because none of the other SLT will be invested in it. They're all too busy. None of the other SLT will know the, the intricacies and the rules of it. Um, and yeah, I, it, certainly in my experience, that, that, that would be the biggest mistake I think I've seen and partaken in in, um, in terms of dealing with behaviour with SLT. And as far as sort of communication and everyone knowing what's expected of them, your next point, point A, uh, within the thread, you say, you know, during a two-week push on, say, punctuality to lessons, use every means of communication available to make that push the thing. Do assemblies on punctuality, send a letter home, send reminder emails every day, mention it in day-to-day -day conversations. They are I'm, I'm going to suggest that there are at least two parts there. I would say maybe the assemblies and the letters home that I see people trying to implement behavioural change or um, cultural change, as you, might, as you might say, and they forget to tell the kids or they forget to tell parents that there's a big push on uniform. Yeah, it's just got to be a total... It's got to be all of those different avenues. I mean, so we're sending daily emails now to, to everybody just reminding them of what the current push is, uh, what our previous pushes have been. 
and the vast majority of people will not read that email. You know, they'll see it and they'll think, oh, it's just that email again. But even that small thing of sending it every single day just sends a little reminder to all the staff, myself included. Right? So I will literally open my email and I'll go, oh, yeah, it is the uniform push. So, yeah. And it, or using all of those avenues to remind and to, to build up to and then to launch are just so central to the whole thing if you don't have the assemblies to tell the students as you say it's it's not a push that's um staff being placed into a position of having to be authoritarian with a new rule if you do an assembly on it and you explain the why to the students you actually win about 80 percent of them straight away so one of our pushes was making sure that students wear their lanyards properly they weren't wearing the lanyards properly and it's a it's a tiny thing but it's also a really big thing in the case of an emergency situation. So we had an assembly with the students and we said, look, it is not something that is going to transform your educational career, but if there's a fire, we need to identify you really quickly. I mean, really, really quickly. So your PD teacher, your tutor might not be there. We need to see who you are immediately. So you've got to have your lanyard with you. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. They all wore the lanyards properly because we'd, we'd explained the why to them in detail. So you're, you're, you're completely right. We send letters home to parents, we explain it, and it just makes the whole thing an actual push rather than um, giving teachers a new rule to enforce. The, the other thing, I, you know, I think that clarity that you're talking about sharing with um, the, the students, sharing with the parents is, uh, you know, as you, you sort of mentioned earlier about, you know, empowering those conversations, making the conversations less of an argument for staff. And I have always been grateful for clarity around expectations because you know then it's not it's not me as a member of staff doing the heavy lifting i'm not enforcing as such i'm pointing out that there is a rule saying oh remember that you know there is this rule uh and then the blame isn't coming to me as an individual the, the you know if if they are aggrieved with the rule they're aggrieved with the rule and not not me personally so that must help i, I guess staff feel that that, that, you know, they, they can challenge and say, look, you've had it explained to you, it is, it is there. They must feel a lot more confident in it, I guess. I think that's definitely true. I think that's also the thing that can drift the fastest. So that staff confidence to do that, as soon as there is some drift of it, the assumption is that SLT aren't focusing on it enough or SLT have stopped focusing on it, and then you'll very quickly get teachers drifting on that. But... I think you're completely right. I think when you've got teachers seeing that there is this consistent push, this consistent drive to do this, they are then so much happier to have a consistent system that they can follow. Because why wouldn't you be? You know, it means that the students don't have any leg to stand on because they've been told multiple times. And it means that that interaction often ends up being polite. It ends up being a non-event most of the time, to be honest. You, you can do it non-verbally. You know, you point at the lanyard, cards the wrong way around. Uh, they know what the sanction is. They know what they know what happens. You can start talking about their weekend. Yeah, this it keeps it very simple and clean and, and polite, as you say. Now, um, this one, I I don't know how I feel about point nine, and and, and I'll explain why once I've read it through. Which is make sure you constantly remind staff of previous pushes. Uh, we have solved A, B, C through your hard work. It's now time to focus on D, 
for two weeks. Don't let A, B, C drift. Uh, eventually, previous pushes become cultural and will need less frequent reminders. Now, part of me, I really like that as um, not, you know, just moving on to the new thing and forgetting what happened before. Last week, it was ties and now it's blazers and actually all the ties have come off, you know, in the meantime. I do like that. But also, I feel... I don't know, could that not become overpowering for staff to say, you know, you're listing off and this and this and this? Yeah, we, we joked about it the other day, actually, where we said, um, you know, eventually we're going to be on push number 56 and you know, our emails are going to be absurd. I think this this style of, of leadership, this sort of tool of leadership is for tackling drift. It's for tackling things where there have been a slippage in something that should be a cultural reality in the school. I don't think it's for everything. So by the time that we are at push number seven, eight, nine, I'm, I'm, it'll be time to put an end to it because by that point we should have sorted out and fixed the main cultural problems in the school. And then you can, you know, the, the conversation should be about teaching and learning and, you know, what's the curriculum like and, and, and all of those other things that make schools wonderful places to be. Um, I don't think this system, this way of leading goes on ad infinitum. I think also it's it's tiring as well. So having these pushes is pretty exhausting. It's pretty exhausting for me because it means that I'm constantly having to, you know, me and the team are constantly having to plan and lead on something that takes loads of energy and loads of walk in the building. Um, so I, d I don't actually see it as something that I would be doing or that, that a team would be doing constantly. And, and I guess the, the eventual hope, it, hope is that they become so natural, so ingrained that the culture does some of that work for you, that when year sevens arrive, they see that no one has their coat on. And so it becomes, they, they just people don't. It becomes a, a kind of, a, you know, I guess, yeah, a cultural trait that within the building, no one has their coat on just because no one has their coat on. It's just, is I think the rule and it's yeah. That's definitely, that's the whole point. And I think, yeah, once you've done nine, 10 pushes, if there was something really integral that you hadn't done after 10 pushes, you, you probably just didn't plan it properly. Mm -hmm. um, certainly when we're looking at our list, you know, it, it, there's not much more after 10. And then it should just be about the other job of leadership, which is making sure drift doesn't happen in the first place, which I actually did another thread on afterwards when I thought about sure. this, because I thought, well, actually, one of the things is don't let drift happen in the first place. <laughs> and that's, got a, that's sort of the next step, really. And that is the never-ending thing. That's when it, you know, your entire job really is to make sure that things don't get worse in your school, which seems pretty obvious. Spinning plates, isn't it? Spinning plates. Um, so uh, we go on to a kind of a feedback point as our next week, which is speak to staff throughout, ask them how pushes are going, be granular in your questioning. Is it really working? Are there any gaps? Use anonymous surveys to check whether you're winning them over. And remember, SLT is a bubble. Now, this this must be incredibly hard, though, because you're, you're asking someone if something that you're passionate about and you're their boss. You say it's working, though, isn't it? It must be incredibly hard to get kind of honest feedback that isn't what's being said in the star from over a cuppa. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Um, and that there is, you know, you have to try and you just have to push ahead and get through that and build relationships with staff as much as you can so that they, they feel like they can be honest with you. Um, I, and you're right. You're, you're often, I often get responses where I think, hmm, I think, are you telling me what I want to hear here? I guess the reality or the, the, the check is that 
you can see the school in front of you. And so if staff really hated it and weren't doing it in reality, you'd, you'd expect that the push to have failed. So if the push has succeeded, that kind of gives you a bit of a proxy for knowing that, that there's probably been some cultural shift with staff as well. Um, yeah, anonymous surveys, we've got one of those coming soon. Um, and I think it's that as an SLT member, you've got to build relationships with your staff and they've got to be able to be honest with you. Um, and that's that just takes time, I think. Um, so our next point in the tweet is, uh, the tweet thread is, um, we're on to number 11, uh, the progress will be slow initially. And some will be frustrated that behavior isn't magically better by SLT decree. But the reality, uh, I think, in brackets, is that changing culture is slow, stick with it. After three and a half terms, you will have knocked six of your priorities off your list. And this is the bit that, you know, the crux of it for me, when we talked earlier about, you know, this being about change and changing state. And I really took, you know, this, this wasn't, I guess some people might be scared by this, that it is going to be hard, it is going to be slow work. But I kind of take solace in that, that, you know, you are accepting that changing the culture of a school is a hard and arduous process. Yeah, and I think kind of what I'm getting to with that is what I've definitely seen is a head teacher uh, sitting and, and saying, right, you're responsible for improving this, you're responsible for improving that, you're on attendance, you're on punctuality, you're on behaviour in lessons, you're on behaviours in the corridor, and let's all go out and let's all work on it. And whenever that happens, you're it's not going to work consistently and you're going to get drift because nobody's able to do all of that heavy lifting uh, because each of those are incredibly gnarly, difficult things to, to improve. So if you're in a situation where behaviour is actually getting worse, by focusing on all of those things at once and often by siloing it out across your whole team, I think you just end up with very little happening, very little getting done at all. Teachers are really, really smart and they're really, really rational with their time. And they know that the most important thing is teaching their lessons. So anything that stops them from being able to teach their lessons properly, they're not going to do. So if the SLT has 10 different priorities for 10 different areas that are all going wrong, and they keep saying that they want all 10 of those things to get better, the teacher is going to behave really rationally and think, these things are not going to get better because I can't see a clear way that they are being planned to get better. So I'm going to do my teaching. I am, as you just said before, I'm going to stay in my classroom and I'm going to teach. And that's the thing I want to, to make sure I can safeguard. So don't do that as an SLT, I would say. <laughs> I would say take one thing, do it, do it longer than you think. So we did two weeks, even though there were no kids in the building with a coat on after the first couple of days. We did it for two weeks because we wanted to make sure it was fully, fully, fully embedded. And the transformation was really, really impressive. It was really positive to see. And so I think you just got to stick with it. It starts slow. There, there's always, and when I say, you know, there's always people that believe that SLT have a magic button with behavior and we just choose not to push it. And the magic button improves behavior across the whole school. And, you know, there are those, there are those teachers that, you know, I'm sure you've all worked with them. We'll sit at the pub and they'll say SLT don't care about behavior and it might be true in which case you've got a bad SLT but certainly I would, certainly I'd argue for us and I'd argue in, in some of the schools I've worked in it's not been true it's just that it's really hard 
<laughs> it's a really difficult thing to improve, particularly when you're in challenging circumstances serving the communities that I've served. And so what you need to see from your leadership is a plan, a systematic plan for improving it. Um, and that means one thing at a time in my book. Um, and the, the final sort of, uh, not quite the final, because we talk about kind of some of your influences after we have the news, but your final tweet is you, you talk about, you say, in my experience of this process, I, I've seen it work uh, three times in free context. It improves all aspects of behaviour, even if you haven't pushed on behaviour in lessons directly, addressing punctuality, uniform, professional language, you change the culture of the school. So you're saying there's a, a kind of, well, I guess a snowball effect, like you've said before. Yeah, it's, it's like it's a ripple, isn't it? You, 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 so if you th- the way I like to think about this is if you think about an English teacher who's on 20 hours a week, as I've said before, the most important thing is their, their, their core work, which is teaching their lessons. If you've changed three rules to, to become more consistent, what you've done is you've given that teacher a bunch of conversations outside of their classroom that go more positively, but they're more positive in the sense that they have authority. So you've given that English teacher authority in the corridor. Now, that might be something that they just simply didn't have before. Um, I think Barry Smith talks a lot about, you know, there being disorderly corridors in the schools that he visits. And I have worked in schools with utterly calamitous corridor behaviour. And for the vast majority of teachers, they wouldn't know, and I didn't know, what authority in the corridor looked like. So if you change small rules in the corridor and you give all teachers the power to be able to make those rules a reality, you've actually done something really important because you've given that teacher an influence. So you've widened their, you've broadened their sphere of influence outside of the classroom. And that has huge cultural impacts because suddenly they're having more pleasant conversations around the school. They're having more conversations in which they are the authority figure and they can make something happen. And that has a knock-on effect in the classroom. Okay, there's Miss Miss, uh, challenged me about my coat the other day. Well, that means that she's in touch with the school's systems. Okay, that means that there's a connection between Miss and all the other teachers. And so suddenly the behaviour in the whole school starts to improve because the kids realise, oh dear, these teachers are all working together now. (laughs) It's It's not just me versus this teacher. It's me versus all of these teachers who are all working together consistently with the same rules. And that's culture. That's a shift in culture. Fantastic. And a perfect opportunity for us to segue to pop to the news. Now, when we come back, I want to talk about just, uh, you know, a few kind of further readings for people, some of your influences, where, where, you know, where some of your thinking has come from. Are you okay to stick around just till just after the news, Ian? Yeah, it's a joy for sure. Fabulous. Right. We will see you all on the other side. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. 
a world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, You'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Michael Fabricant, a Conservative MP for Staffordshire, who suggested teachers enjoyed a quiet drink in the staff room during COVID lockdown, during a BBC interview, has apologised. The Litchfield MP has written a response to the National Association of Head Teachers to explain that it had not been his intention to cause offence or demoralise anyone. Paul Whiteman, General Secretary of the NAHT, said the MP's words were wholly inaccurate and deeply insulting. In his letter, Mr Fabricant states, I thought it might be helpful if I make it clear that it was not my intention to cause offence, let alone demoralise anyone, as some have suggested. And I apologise if I have genuinely done so. I applaud the work of nurses, GPs and others in the medical and teaching profession who work long hours under difficult and sometimes impossible conditions during the height of the COVID pandemic to keep us all safe and to educate our children. We all have a debt to them which will be difficult to repay. In a lengthy and wide-ranging interview with BBC Television News, I explained that I was neither judging nor chastising the minority of nurses or teachers who chose to unwind with a few work colleagues after a long shift. Nor did I suggest they were drunk. I know none who were so.
In England, the Education Secretary, Nadeem Sahawi, launched his Education Sustainability Vision at the Natural History Museum on Thursday evening last week. £11,480 was paid to Taste Studios to provide the food, working out at £48 per head. A spokesperson said, The launch brought together individuals and organisations who can help us implement our strategy in order to galvanise support from them, whether through funding resources, driving public support and awareness, or encouraging youth engagement. The government said that it had to use a caterer from the museum's list of accredited suppliers. Staff were asked not to eat or drink at the event as they were there for work and not as invitees. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, last week I told you about security certificates and how the padlock is not a symbol of a website being secure, but the transmission being encrypted. This week we go a step further and ask how do criminals use this against us? They use something called a subdomain. Just as the prefix sub means below or under, the subdomain is a key to this scam, and it can look legitimate to the untrained eye. Subdomains are a way to divide a website into more manageable chunks. For example, for TT Radio, a subdomain could be named Listen. This would read www.listen.ttradio.org. This could be pointed at somewhere other than the main website, for example, Podbean, and allow simple redirection for the user of the website. The issue we face is cyber criminals understand subdomain system and exploit it. So if I were to buy a domain called bank.com and create a subdomain for all popular banks in the UK or even the world, and obviously buy a security certificate, I could create copies of banks' web pages on each subdomain and the address would read, for example, HTTPS, oh, it's secure, www.halifax.bank.com. The difference being you're now going to a subsection of my website, bank.com, which happens to be named after a bank. I now start a campaign of emails and texts with a warning to as many people as I possibly can. To make you panic and click without thinking too much, I also add a bit of time pressure into the mix. How does this sound? Halifax Alert, you've just paid Steve Woods £500. If this transaction was not organised by you, you have five minutes to log in and cancel. I'm even kind enough to give you the link https www.halifax.bank.com. From there, I collect your login details and empty your bank. Clever, innit? How do we stop this? Always contact your bank directly, not through a link that is sent to you. If unsure, stop and think. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. 
Borrowed our pal, Chrysler Abertawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show. Me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. I've been talking with Ian White, Vice Principal in Hackney, about preventing behavioural drift, what to do when behaviour is slipping. Uh, so, welcome back, Ian. Hi there. Um, and so, I did say, you know, we're in the kind of the last little part of the show just where we hear a little bit about you you finish off your uh your tweet thread that we've been discussing um with uh saying sort of number 13 in the tweet thread saying uh not much original here uh just worked with some great people uh so stricto master on on twitter that's sam strickland tom bennett uh barry smith um are great on this stuff uh, for cultural change i always draw on joe facer um uh, how I don't know, like, how did you come to these conclusions? Is it all experience? Is it all research? Is it working with good people? You know, where does it come from? Um, I think there's a, there's a there's a a blend of those things. I would say that the majority comes from experience, though. Um, the reason why I'd say that is that I don't think I think some parts of what I've been talking about are not very intuitive. So I don't think it's particularly intuitive to to only focus on one thing when you've got a school that's going that's not going very well or that there's been slippage. I don't think that's that's just something that would probably have to come from experience. Um, so I worked at a school in in another school in Hackney for about six or seven years under a fantastic head teacher called Chris Brown, um, and he uh, transformed behaviour in that school. Uh, I eventually joined the SLT team there. Uh, what he did was, uh, it wasn't exactly as I've set out here, but he just had a very granular focus on systems. And he certainly didn't change 20 systems all at once. He would introduce lineups. He would then introduce silent starts to lessons, then might introduce, uh, you know, another policy and then another policy. So it would, you'd never get all of them all at once. And then you knew that when he was launching something or when his team was launching something, I'm speaking as, as a teacher here, hmm. it, that he meant it. He really, really meant it. <laughs> and he, he would walk the building visibly, making that policy become a reality. And I guess from I'd, I'd worked in a special measure school for the first three years of my career where I'd seen the exact opposite of that style. And I'd seen essentially students being let down left, right, and centre. If you've read um, "No Excuses" by Alison Cowell, uh, I'm I'm currently reading that at the moment. And the school that she describes is the school that I worked in <laughs> for the first three years. Not literally; it's just that it was very, very, very similar. Um, only we didn't have someone like her leadership. We, we, it was it was falling apart, and. When I then worked under Chris at Bridge, it was a different thing. It was a completely new world to me because you suddenly had this whole leadership team that were planning in detail clear systems and then launching them and then checking that they were really happening feverishly. And the transformation in that school was unbelievable. I mean, the results went through the roof. Um, The behavior was just absolutely exemplary. Uh, it was it was an absolute privilege to be on that journey, and then to eventually join the SLT, I got to, sort of got to look under the hood at exactly how that worked. Um, so that that for me has been the single biggest influence, just having seen it happen. 
uh, within the context that I'm now working in as a vice principal, because all of those things I've just sort of seen mechanistically how you need to plan for them and how you need to do them. But then there's lots of stuff that sits underneath it ideologically as well. So I don't know how into the sort of the Twitter conversation you are. So the, the idea of a traditional teacher versus a progressive, you know, all of that sort of well, trad versus I, uh, prog stuff. I am the worst of, you know, I, I find it incredibly infuriating because I, you know, for when it comes to things like this, I would be considered a trad i guess uh, when it comes to other things you know i i work in alternative provision i was a primary school teacher and primary in wales is even more free and creative you know there aren't phonic screening checks and things and so i you know i'm ridiculously progressive in that sense and so yeah i'm i'm, I'm a bit of a mess unfortunately when it comes to being a prod or a trag but if you see what i mean Yes, I mean, that's unacceptable in Twitter. You have to pick a side, yeah. otherwise, you know, they, they, they will come for you. They're all going to come for you, basically. You've guaranteed that nobody likes you now. Um, I, will, I, I will say, I, I once made a, a terrible mistake of saying that I, um, whenever I went into a classroom, I would always remove the teacher desk. Not a fan of a teacher desk. And this, this you know, blew up in, in, in terrible ways as well. Of um, I ha either had people saying you know, you, you are taking away teachers' right. How dare you take away our desks? We love our desks. And then I had some people saying, you're, you're clearly a progressive genius. You know, the, you know, why would we even have desks? Let's, let's free for... I was like, no, I just don't like clutter. I don't like clutter. And they were like, well, then you're an animal. You know, the, and, and I, I kind of had managed to split the world into these two things, but I was on the wrong side somehow because I didn't want a desk because I found it was too much of a clutter. But everyone thought I was a, an amazing progressive educator. So, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been there. I feel that. Well, yeah, and, and, and I think that that side of Twitter is pretty useless, to be honest. I think the, the mudslinging is relatively useless. Um, I, I would, though, I mean, look, I'm a secondary school teacher in Hackney, and most people would know that that means you're going to fall on the trad side on a lot of issues just because of the experience I've had because of the transformations that I've seen in students. So yes, I like strict behavior systems. I like uh, relatively traditional teaching methods uh, in many subjects, rows, not groups, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. They are my preference simply because of the, the settings that I've been in and the context that I have to draw on give me evidence for those being better. So I'm, I, and I've, I'm wording that relatively carefully because in a primary, that is a different context. And so my experience of rows being better than groups just might not play out very well. And so I'm quite conscious of, of, of caveating it. But yeah, I, I am relatively trad. So so I would, you know, I read I read Michaela's books, for example, mm. and I can take a lot from them. You know, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Teachers was transformational for me as a teacher. And not because I want every school in the country to be Michaela and not because I think Catherine Bebelsing speaks sense on every single thing that she that she pronounces on. But because I read that book as 15, 20 teachers who spoke with such confidence and such clarity about the profession. And in a way that I had never thought that I would ever be able to do. I, I didn't care enough. You know, I went and I taught my lessons and then I went to the pub. Like that was that was pretty much my cycle. And then I read these these incredibly complex articles by these teachers who were talking about the running of their school and I thought well, I can't do that <laughs> I don't know how to do that and the school that they're describing is very very different to one that I've ever worked in 
And so it was reading that really challenged me. And then also Michaela have come up with some great ideas that have gone on to, to, to help to shape various things in the profession. Um, and I guess like that, that sort of systematic approach that comes originally from the KIPP schools in, in America that has kind of transferred over here, schools like King Solomon's Academy, Mossbourne, um, Wembley High Technology College, uh, then you've got Dixon's Trinity and Michaela. You know, I, I, I admire all of those schools and I look at the Progress 8 scores for the, that they get for their mm. students. And I think that that is, uh, yeah, I think that's incredible. And I think there's loads to learn from those kind of schools. But I would say, you know, the, the way you have talked about leadership and middle leadership and, and implementing change and addressing drift, I would say is whether you, you know, wherever you sit on that spectrum it is a really uh, effective way. It's it's almost, you know, when I look at it, I say it it is about management. I say, okay, so the rules might not be about coats. It might not be about coats inside. It might not be about lanyards, but it will be about something that your school decides to do. And if you are going to make uh, something happen, this is the process you need to do. And as you know, you said very early on, you can't just send out a briefing note to, to make a change happen, whatever that change you want it to be. I, I think that is exactly right. I think you can apply good management, good leadership principles. Uh, and the detail of it will depend on the culture of the school and the kind of school that you're trying to create. I would argue, and I maybe I'm wrong and someone could tell me that they've managed to do it. I think even if you're in a private primary school in Finland, if you want to make something change in that school culturally, I'm almost certain that you're going to have to focus on it with loads of detail and plan it in advance and only focus on that thing for a brief period. Um, because if you don't, I, I would be super surprised if you managed to change three different things within that same week simply by telling staff and not planning it properly. So, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well, listen, we are at the end of the show, I'm afraid, Ian. It's been wonderful to talk uh, to you and, and to kind of go through this in a little bit more detail than Twitter allows. So thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure, mate. Really enjoyed it. Fabulous. And I will say to all our listeners from here in South Wales, Nostar, which of course is good night, uh, and we will see you all next time on Teachers Talk Radio. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4... Three, two, one. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.